We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko here with Jennifer, our Australian Conquer sister, who has a South African accent, who has been married for 36 years, has a bunch of adult sons and a bunch of grandbabies. She's lived all over the world as a corporate wife and an artist. But in the midst of all of it, she's dealt with a very destructive marriage and really is in the midst of an excruciating time of decision right now. Jennifer, thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Tell me, what were some of the behaviors you were dealing with in your marriage? Oh, right into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go. We're yeah. going to just jump right into it. Fantastic. Okay. I now know it as coercive control. Nothing was ever said specifically, but there are ways that um, people can treat us that show rather than tell what the intention is. So um, there was always a threat of leaving. He's threatened to leave me right from the beginning. And so that threat would be played out sometimes out loud, sometimes um, as strongly as if you did this, I will leave you, but sometimes more subtly. Tell me what coercive control would actually look like, even though you didn't necessarily know the name or what to call the behavior? You know, in the very, very early days when you're getting to know each other and you are learning about each other's history and I asked him about previous girlfriends, I didn't notice that they were red flags when he told me how amazing I was and how I was better than anybody he'd ever met and better than any other girlfriend and then went on in the same conversation to say that this girlfriend he ended it with because she had asked him to pick between her and his sport or his friends or something. And he talked about what a stupid girl she was and what a dumb mistake she was and that he doesn't do ultimatums. And so even though that was a very happy little conversation, this is my story, it sent very strong messages from day one that I was not to make ultimatums. And of course, when I heard that, I thought, well, who would do something so silly? I would never do anything as dumb as that. And you quickly learn that when you, I suppose in my language now, set boundaries, he would take that as an ultimatum and threaten then that he would leave. Little conversations where I need, I tried to raise something that was actually very, very important. And he went, oh, wow. I must love you so much. And I said, oh, why is that? And he said, well, normally I would have left by now and wow. I've listened to you speak. And no red flags went off for me, nothing processed for me that this was actually laying down these layers of threats right from the beginning that next time you sort of think a little bit, oh, do I raise this? Maybe not. I don't want him to leave me. I don't want him to humiliate me. I don't want him to dump me. So and it created so you, fear. It created fear right from the beginning. And so even though it, it sounded like um, giving an ultimatum is a really big thing, but it actually was anything that he didn't like, anything that that displeased him, anything that 
showed me to have a voice or an opinion or anything like that was very, I learned very, very quickly that this was a punishable offence and that the punishment would be him walking away. And then he backed that up with, of course, like all couples, you have a couple of arguments and he would just storm out the door and go, I'm leaving you. And so you kind of start adding that up together. And once the children came along, which was very, very early, we landed up falling pregnant very early, unplanned, but, you know, we married a few months when we fell pregnant. When the children came along, he would then threaten to leave me and take the children with him because he had a job and I didn't. He was employed. We were in, a, in each different country with the company and so he... Everything was in his name. Everything was in his employment. And so the threats became stronger and more clear. And on a semi-regular basis, he would leave me. Really? Um, and not go very far, obviously. And I think I think a healthy person would go, well, you don't actually go very far and you're back within a couple of hours, which meant that the children never saw it. I knew that he left. I got the long lecture on I'm leaving you. I've looked up divorce on online. I know how it all works. You don't get anything. I get everything. You won't have access to the children. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. It's over. I don't want to be married to you anymore. I've never loved you. Really harsh rage, anger things. Not loud, but harsh. Mm -hmm. And then I would, I would think that this is the end and I would have to run the family and have the dinner knowing that tonight would be my last or tomorrow would be my last while he puts on a happy face and laughs with the kids and tickles them and I would look at it all and think, well, I won't get to be a part of this from tomorrow or the next day. My goodness. And it would never actually end. It would just move to, oh, he's happy now. Great. Oh, phew, he hasn't actually left until the so next So how day. did you process this? And I, I don't, please don't take it at all as an accusatory thing. I'm I'm wanting to truly understand, because some people won't, how you would process that kind of treatment and lay in bed with him at night and maybe be intimate with him again. And how did you process this as a woman to stay in a marriage like this? Wow, that's a fascinating question. Nobody's ever asked me that. My first answer is I actually don't know. I think it was so traumatic and it was and it grew relatively slowly. So even though it was there from day one, it was a laughing, funny conversation about silly, stupid other women. It never even occurred to me that there was something wrong here that he was telling me that I was the only woman that he liked and that everybody else was stupid. And, and it, it never, never occurred to me that this man doesn't like women. This man has a very low opinion of women. I just took it all as somebody is picking me, choosing me, that I'm special. And so instead of the warning bells of, you know, you could be kicked out any minute, I was more processing the positive that I was that special and that amazing and that he was going to spend the rest of his life with me and that he was calling me my, his wife within, you know, two or three weeks um, we were married very quickly. And so by the time it really grew into be, being something that felt far more threatening, it was too late. And it's very easy to look back and go, it's never too late. Before you had children, you should have left. You shouldn't have actually married him as such. But, you know, you don't know what's ahead when you're that young. 
And well, and I, th- I uh, think it, that's such a good uh, statement because there is this very strong feeling, especially after you've had children, that it's too late. And yes. you just need to keep it together. Yes. No matter what. Would that and be so, kind of the feeling that you had? Absolutely. And so, you know, you don't, it's a boiling frog. You don't actually realize the extent of it until you're in so deep. And then, especially as a Christian woman in the church and your husband in leadership and all that kind of stuff, you think, well, he's going to mature one day. He's going to grow out of this. This is going to get better. He's going to start seeing that this is childish behavior and he's going to become an adult, you know. And the next thing, your children are in their late teens and you're starting to think, well, they're actually more mature than he is in many ways. Right. And, you know, and now you're 20 years in and it's too, it's it's a different kind of too late. And, and it's so insidious and it's so controlling that you actually don't have time to process a lot of it. And so I developed terrible anxiety in probably the second or third decade of my married life to the point where I didn't even know I had anxiety, but I would collapse out of nowhere and I'd call an ambulance and take me to hospital and I had no pulse. It was so bad. And it took quite a long time for them to realise that I was actually having such powerful panic attacks that my body was completely shutting down. And I didn't even know what I was afraid of, what was causing them. And I had three years of therapy over it. And I would say to people, if I knew what I was afraid of, I could address it, but I don't, I can't even work out. I I can't even work out what I'm afraid of. And it took a really, really loving person in our church, who was a trauma counsellor, to actually take me aside one day and say to me, I know what you're afraid of. I said, really? What? He said, your husband. So it's the first time in my life I'd ever felt two completely different things at exactly the same time and had to hold space for both of them. And one of them was, oh, my word, don't be silly. It's not my husband. Have you not seen that he's my best friend? Have you not seen that he's my soulmate? Have you not seen how much he loves me? We are intimately connected and special and so amazing. And the other half of my brain just completely freaked out and realized that he was absolutely spot on. So, you know, yes, I felt that fear. The quest back to your question. I'm sorry I'm taking so long to answer it, but I was feeling fear with every atom in my body. But it was so all-consuming and it all grown so slowly that I didn't even know that it was there. And I didn't even notice that I knew that I was tired. I knew that I was exhausted. I didn't realize that I was not sleeping at night because of my fear of this person right here next to me. And having that Jekyll and Hyde experience of this man who just loved me so much that I was his everything at the same time as he was the person that was actually harming me and there, all there the was time. More, there was more too, as well as beyond just threatening to leave, he would isolate you, kind of kept you in a box. Can you kind of describe some of that? That has taken, and part of my conquer journey has been working all of this out and being able to put this into words because there were never rules. He never said to me, you can't have an opinion. It was more the same way where he's this this ultimatum threat rule and walking out the door on a semi-regular basis that showed me that that was the rule. So he never said to me, you can't have friends. 
But if I if I made a friend and, you know, as you do in relationships, you go, oh, I had a bad day or she was a bit mean today or she was grumpy, he would say to me, well, you know, she wouldn't have done that if it, was, if it wasn't for very good reason. You, you aren't a nice person and you're not a good friend and you were probably being too needy and she really doesn't want to be your friend. And then, you know, I would pull out of the friendship. And other times he, uh, one day he came home early. I was out with the children with a friend. I got home at five and he's never comes home early. And there he was, he was at home. And uh, I went, oh, how wonderful to see you. And then realized in a split second that he was livid, absolutely livid. And he said to me, I come home to see you. Why would I ever do that again? Why would I come home for you to see you and you're not here? And he was so angry and there was so much punishment over the next days and weeks that it's just not worth it. So it's less that he says these are the rules, but you learn very quickly what is acceptable and not acceptable. And so for the next you know, till my children grew up, I was home by four o'clock every single afternoon because I was never, ever going to let that happen again. And so when that- you, when you said, Jennifer, when you said uh, there was punishment over the next few days, describe the punishment. And uh, if you know anything about the Gottman's Four Horsemen, there was a lot of contempt, um, belittling, eye rolling, um, a lot of silent treatment, a lot of withdrawn a lot of nitpicking, a lot of putting me down, um, a lot of withholding, withholding affection. He's a very, very affectionate person, but it would be turned on or off depending on the punishment level. In public, it was always extremely overt, so people would see this consistent, very affectionate man, but we would walk in the door and that would stop. And he could walk in the door and go straight to his computer and not speak to me for three days straight. So uh, never seen from the outside, but punished from the inside. And it wasn't until we were married at least 15 years and I started talking about that anxiety that I had that I, that I realised that there was a pattern and that this wasn't just bumps every now and then and it wasn't just this random flicking forward between Jekyll and Hyde, that it was actually the abuse cycle, which I learnt in Conquer, that was actually going round and round. So once he starts punishing, I didn't understand it at the time and they might seem little things to some people, like this threat about whether I'm there at home when he gets home or not. But I always somehow knew that his moods were only ever going in one direction. They were only they would only get worse, and they had to get through the rage to come back to good again. That he wasn't actually just. So I used to say that I never know who's going to walk in the door, Jekyll or Hyde, and that is true. But you know, I can never remember which is the good guy and which is the bad guy. But once the bad guy starts, even if it's little things, there's that panic because you know that it'll be bigger things tomorrow and bigger things the next day and you never quite know how long it will take before he walks out the door. And then we start again. You mentioned a story that happened quite early on in your marriage where in your gut you always knew something was wrong. But you couldn't put a name to it. Describe that. Oh, my, oh my word. So I'd be, oh, probably been married about about a month, I would say. 
I don't remember what instigated it, but I knew at that point, you know, now I know because of everybody else that I know that goes through the same thing that it really turns a, 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 a corner once you're trapped, once you're in. So they don't show it beforehand and in the dating stage and so on. And I can remember only about a month into my marriage, I was traveling through the countryside, through the snow, on a mountain, stopped for a drink or whatever it was. I was with friends. I wasn't with him. And I can remember standing there and just looking up at the mountain and just crying out to God, what have I done? What have I done? And I felt his voice say to me, I'm not asking you to love this man that you've married. I'm asking you to love the man that I created him to be. And this is 36 years ago. This is long before other people I heard saying who God created us to be. This for me was directly a God thing. And so in some ways it has carried me through and it has helped me to love him regardless, but it has also trapped me because Mm. I've always felt so strongly that this man was going to grow into the man that God created him to be any minute. (laughs) Well, and he was open at one point to getting help. And that's it. Yes. yes. And and so the both of you went to your church to get counsel. To his credit, we decided to both go together and to speak to the pastor and say, listen, we've got this abuse issue. We're working on it. We're in therapy. He's in therapy. And the pastor and his wife were very gracious. They said, we don't understand this, but we're meant to just turn up and be there for you and came up with a little bit of a plan of action that when he was in his rages, he couldn't be on the stage and so on and so forth. And basically didn't follow through on it, didn't follow mm-hmm. through on any of it. And I landed up in a very difficult position where he was in a particularly bad rage and he'd stormed out and left me again and was at church on stage and I had told a couple of the women that I had really got to know well and thought I'm their Bible study leader these women need to know something of our struggle and who we are personally and one of them had actually raised you know just marriage issues and counseling and so on so it was a a door that opened by someone else and I said oh yes we've also been struggling and kind of this is what it looked like and those two women, one of them it was very trauma-informed, very aware of domestic violence that it doesn't have to be physical. She saw all the signs in me that I didn't even know that I had, mm. and the other lady didn't. And the one who saw all the signs went to the church leadership and said, this is unacceptable that he's on the stage this week while he's treating his wife like this. This is not cool. And the other lady came to me and said, I don't want to know your marriage problems because I want to be his friend. So please don't tell me what you are going through because I I don't want it to affect my relationship with him. And the lady wow. who was trauma-informed phoned the pastor and said, that man should not be on the stage. This is a domestic violence situation. It's absolutely unacceptable. And the pastor rang me and told me off for having a big mouth, told me that I shouldn't have told her. And my husband was told by the eldership that he needed to get his wife in line and she needed to keep her mouth shut. And uh, what did that feel like? That I mean, the, I'm angry just hearing the story. 
seriously, what what did that experience? It's a story on a podcast, but you lived that. Lived that, and the many pieces of that. You know, I was dealing with this this roller coaster of wow! I get to sit down with these two women. I get to have friends for the first time. I get to actually build a real relationship and be heard. And then a few days later, each of them with their well, one the one that that, that suspected domestic violence didn't tell me. She only t- told the pastor, which left me feeling betrayed. Yeah. The other one who said that she didn't want to know about our marriage. I felt shunned. I felt pushed away. I was so shocked by her response that she would, I think it's one thing to just go, la, 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 I don't want to know about things. It's another thing to be able to actually articulate to somebody, I don't want to know if this is an abusive marriage or not. I don't want to know that because I want to be his friend. I think it's it's shock. It is. It really is. So there are there are layers and not just layers to the one story. They actually kind of felt like they almost go in different directions, the different responses and way they, the way that they handle that. And so those two friendships disappeared I pretty bet. much immediately. <laughs> yes. That was the end of that. And then there was this process of my husband felt that it was appropriate to resign and I and uh, all credit to him. And the church eldership was not happy. And so they did your spent- so your husband recognized that this was bad advice? Yes, absolutely. Thank At God. the time. Okay. Yes. Um, now, in his very next rage, it became the evidence that there's nothing wrong with me, I'm the problem. So, you know, exactly. but at the time, yeah. um, and I think he, I mean, it was so, it was so overt. At least it was, you know, every other pastor in the past has sort of disappeared and hid and wouldn't look me in the eye and wouldn't, you know, be a man. Uh, whereas these these very different people in the eldership they would actually come and speak to my husband and go, you know, you really need to watch your wife. You really need to control her. You really need to stop her speaking to people and you should not stand down from your position. You're, you are a normal marriage. This is There's nothing wrong with it. We all feel sometimes cross with our wives and that we don't want to be married to them. There's nothing wrong with you and you need to stop this silly nonsense and, and withdraw your, your resignation. And this, and- this is Jennifer. For, uh, forgive me for interrupting you, but for everybody who's listening, if you're getting advice like this, it is wrong. And it is just once yes, again, it's evidence. terrible. It's once again, the evidence that, you know, God bless our pastors and our leadership who maybe mean well, but they are not trained no. by and large, by and large in, in recognizing a destructive marriage versus normal marriage problems. And you can't, you know, if if somebody has a cut, you can't you can put a band-aid on that. But if they've got cancer, band-aids don't work. You need that's chemo. exactly right. That's and exactly right. So our churches and this leadership, they've got to be able to recognize destructive marriages and stop applying their cherry picked verses to cancer. That's it. it. Is not helpful. And it's not. If you're in that situation and you're getting band-aids, please recognize it just doesn't work and and they are wrong for doing it. Yes, and there's uh, I was uh, listening to a podcast, I think it's a um I can't remember his name anyway, but he was saying they call it secondary abuse where you actually have this abuse within your marriage and then the way you're tr- treated by it, and it can be professionals or psychologists or, or counselors where you are not heard, where you are not believed. 
And there are layers to that as well because I lost those two new friendships instantly and none of those people who contacted my husband, the pastors, the elders, everybody, not one of them phoned me and said, is what she's saying true? Is there any truth in this? Is this domestic violence? What is your thought? What is your, where are you at? So I was shunned, completely shunned, and both of us were in leadership positions. So I was expected to keep going in my leadership um, role and be completely ignored, not spoken to, not cared for, not cherished, not looked after, and sent back into this abusive situation. Now, I had the support of my husband and the way it all played out this time was such an assault on him as well, I guess, and the way they handled it. And so we resigned from the church. So we lost everything. We lost our new friends. Mm. We lost our church. We lost our Bible study. We basically lost everything um, instead of being supported and loved. So sad. I'm so sorry. Thank you. You, you eventually did hit a wall of... I can't take it anymore and this has to change. Describe yes. describe that moment or or that time. Um back in 2021 I had uh, my husband walked out of me again for what felt like the <laughs> 9 millionth time. <laughs> right. Um, and there's something that's very very difficult to explain about being on the inside. Most people would hear that and go surely you just let him walk after the third time he did it. It's very very difficult when he controls the finances, he controls where you are, He can, you know, he's isolated you, you don't have anyone, you've got children to look after, you've not been able to finish your degree, you don't have an income, you don't even have a bank account, you know, all those kinds of things. Well, and you're in the umpteenth country you've lived in as well. I'm in the umpteenth country um, and whichever country we lived in, we were on his visa, so I'm only there because he's got a visa and usually you can't, I can't work even if I wanted to. Oh, goodness. The house we're staying in is a company house. The car we're driving is a company. Everything, everything belongs. In some countries, it was even the bed, the pots, the pans, the everything. So if that marriage breaks down, the wife gets sent home and she's all alone. So that threat is very, very real, was very, very real for me mm. in the way that it isn't for most people, whether their marriage is good, bad or indifferent. So that threat was very very real and then there's the humiliation around it all there is how much everybody adored him there is the fact that he was had a, a very powerful job and was very very admired and adored and had women lined up ready for the second that he looked the other mm -hmm. way or I did something wrong they were ready to take my place there's a whole bunch of things that play well, and he liked this. to look at those ladies too didn't he absolutely Absolutely. And make sure that they were all there watching him and ready and, you know. You said uh, it was it was almost humiliating to the point where oh, he was terrible. So there was there was a time that he walked out and you know, circumstances make play a big role in all of these things. And we we our children had grown up, they were living in different places. We were staying with um with one family and then we had that you know our kids were in different cities with their families and whatnot and so this particular time when he walked out on me in 2021 he actually got on a plane and went to the other city where the kids where the other kids were and said don't follow so it changed because he actually went somewhere and was gone as opposed to storming out the house or the hotel or wherever it is that we are 
and coming back a couple of hours later and just being angry for the next four weeks. This time he actually got on a plane and went somebody went somewhere and didn't speak to me and didn't let me follow. And it gave me a little bit of separation from this drama. It's very, very difficult to explain the extent of the drama when he's in these rages and how long they go for. And suddenly I had this the separation, so this little bit of out, being a little bit outside of it, and also just the catastrophic trauma of that whole process to give some kind of a context that rage, you know, people get angry, people lash out, and then they go sit under a tree or they sleep the night. He wakes up the next morning and instead of being rested, he's ready to go again, worse than the day before. So he raged nonstop for nine weeks. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. And he's not um a shouting man he's not a loud man and so it was this this cool ice cold rage so you know but they were still days- equally as powerful oh it's terrible there was one day he came over to me and he put his arms around me and he held me close and he looked me in the eye and he said i don't think i've ever loved you <gasps> and then had cuddled me again and this is after 34 years of marriage. You don't have to shout to hurt somebody at the deepest, deepest, deepest level. And that went on for nine weeks. There were anger and spurt and, and, and I say spitting. He wasn't actually spitting, but he can spit his words. You know, you can, you can read a word and you can look someone in the eye and that hatred and that anger and that the words are spat out at you with such hatred and such intensity that it just slices you in half. I mean, so many people would hear that story and say, get out. Tell me. Absolutely. Yes. So I then went, okay, I need some real help here. And I, and I went for a walk. It was very, very hot in the middle of summer. I just walked out the house and just walked and walked and walked. I actually burnt the soles off both my feet, completely burnt my soles. And, and cried out to God and cried out to God. And he said, you need to hand your marriage over to me one last time. You ne- need to let me sort him out. And I thought, I need to go somewhere else. I need to let him have his tantrum and get on that plane, which he'd already done, and I need to find help. And so I started phoning. I phoned hotlines. I phoned resources. I phoned Christian resources. I looked online. And what was so hard for me, and I'd done this in pieces before over the last decade, but never so intensely, is that the secular world says, run, tell anyone in a secular authority, and they're like, you need to get out and you need to get out now. I feel like there's a one-way valve that people want to push you through and Mm -hmm. you suddenly find yourself on the other end of that one-way valve. And I've spoken to so many women about it and they say, if they'd just given me five days to think about it, I could have packed my bags or done this or set up a bank account or done something. We get shoved through this. You You have to leave now. And then at the other end of the scale, most of the Christian advice out there or professionalism out there was maybe you're not being you know I would come to them in distress and they'd go well you need to calm down a little bit you need to be more humble and you need to be a little bit more gentle and maybe he would love you if you just didn't complain you need to you know and you need to forgive are you forgiving and through that 
nine weeks, I had this counsellor for a few times and I can remember it was always poor me. It's just so hard. I, you know, me, me, poor me. And I went into this session and I, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, just watch out for that. And I counted. And in that 50 minute session, I reckon 20 times she said, poor him. He obviously doesn't know how to communicate. Poor him. He obviously really loves you, but doesn't know how to show. Poor him. And so by the fourth time. Well, he sure knows how to show his anger. Poor him, right? I was like, okay, this is not going to get me anywhere. There's like six sessions or four sessions or whatever it was that I'd paid for down the drain. And so what I love about Leslie is she holds space. Conquer held space for me to just stop and breathe and get not only really good advice, but to work through that and to work through the words and work through that space and hold space for leaving or staying. And that you could actually look at it without having to pick one immediately. When was the last time you cried over the condition of your marriage or felt angry enough to punch a wall? Maybe you don't feel anything anymore. Being numb feels safe. Friend, this isn't what God wants for your life. And although you may feel stuck, you're not. You have more choices than you may realize. One of the smartest choices you can make right now is joining Conquer, Leslie's private membership group. This isn't marriage counseling, it's a support group for Christian women who are in destructive relationships, women who want to grow strong, make biblical choices, and stop living like a victim. The cost is small. What you get though, it's confidence, peace, strategy, and ultimately a family tree that says no to abuse. Make the choice right now. Go to lesliewernick.com forward slash join. Doors close October 18th. How did you find no, her? No, no. Nine months into that, in, into 2021, two falls ago, somebody sent me a link and said they'd come across her. Maybe I should think about that. And I was still in really bad space and I was still feeling very, very broken. And I felt rightly or wrongly that I was going to be pushed into, into a Christian version of being pushed into leaving him. And so I ignored it. And of course, as Google works and whatever you click on, it tries to show it to you again and again. And of course, the Holy Spirit yes. moves as well. And so this, every day on Facebook, Conquer was coming up, Conquer was coming up. I thought, well, it can't hurt to watch this, listen to this podcast or watch that story. And then eventually I realized that, you know, I had paid, I think, $125 a session to see this dreadful counselor four times, which was more than it was going to cost for a whole year with Leslie. For a whole year, right. Right. And I think that's what is such a big deal. Like in, if you pay for it monthly, it's not even one session with someone that you really don't know what you're going to get until your four or six or eight sessions and you've already spent $1,000 or $500. Um, and you realize and that you just got all the wrong advice. Yeah, yeah, and you don't know that. So... I, and I knew from day one with Conquer that this was the right space for me mm. on multiple levels. I was so confused. I was so broken. I was so damaged. And I knew in adverted commas that most of this wasn't me, but I needed to be systematic and I needed to trust Leslie and I needed to trust the Lord that 
this journey would give me something. Okay, you said, I, I loved this. You imagined, it, describe what you were picturing. I think one of the things that I had said when my husband left me in 2021 was that I needed to join a support group. And so I had this vision in my head that I would find some dingy, dingy church basement, <laughs> sit in a circle once a week, couldn't bear the thought, but knew that I needed to have other people in the same boat and I, that I would be lumped with seven other broken women or six or eight or 12 or whatever it would be. And, you know, something so cliched out of American movies. And so I was looking for that. I wanted that. I needed that. And I dreaded it. And I couldn't bear the thought of it at the same time. So when Conquer came along and suddenly I had 3,000 women instead of seven, who instead of an intensive every week we sit there for an hour and chew donuts and cry, and, I, and, and no disrespect at all to those <laughs> kinds of, honestly, they do amazing, wonderful things. But I was in that level of trauma that I, I couldn't cope with the turn it on for an hour and then turn it off again for the other six and a half days, you know, and oh, then true. turn it on yes. again and turn it off again. This concept of the conquer, there's someone online in conquer any moment of any day that you, and you can be anonymous and no one has to see your face and you can ugly cry and you can not, and you can not turn up for three weeks. And Those you can women, use an alias if you need to. You can use an alias. Leslie's got so much care around that. And it is such a safe space to be that I could take really, really baby steps. And it encouraged me to take that workbook and go start with video one, step one of the workbook and do every single step, even if it didn't apply to me, because that was the only way that I was going to do anything linear, linear, I guess. I needed to just go through the process and trust the process and hope that something would come out of the other end of it. And I was blown away by things that I thought did not apply to me that clearly did. Hmm. Because they, they and, and it's the safest way to find that is to sit there and watch the video and read the workbook and watch the video and read the, you know, and in those early months, I would just, you know, Leslie adds videos all the time, plus the everything time. that's already there. So if you just, there were days when I could just sit there and just play video after video after video after video of somebody making sense for the first time in my life. And, and there's this, and I really want to encourage people that you can really take from it whatever applies to you and whatever pieces you need. And that for that, you know, when I, whenever I see my counsellors, you know, I pay good money and I hope to get one nugget out of each session. That's a very, very expensive nugget, you know. Right. You're basically paying not much more than a dollar a day and you can get a nugget a day by being in conquer. And that adds up to a lot at the end. It does. It does. What were some of um, your, if you look back, uh, you, how long have you been in conquer now? Two years now. So almost so, exactly because so that's, it was before take it. Yeah. Yeah. So give me some of the big aha moments and those nuggets um, that yes. you, you can remember. Yes. So there was a handful of things. And I suppose if a lot of people that are listening don't know, 
a lot of the acronyms and what they necessarily mean but I'll, but but for me things like the abuse cycle so just the fact that it might sound really simple but it changes the way you think about in your mind so i had thought of us as going forward and just being bumpy or flick flacking between jekyll and hyde this concept of going round and round and round the abuse cycle what the abuse cycle looks like what it is at two o'clock what it is at three o'clock it validated how i felt at six o'clock all the way through to 12 o'clock where the anger hasn't started yet and the rage hasn't started yet but i'm treading on eggshells for half my life you know so it, it it gave words and this sense of a lack of growth because even if there are hiccups on the way and it's linear you in theory should be getting somewhere whereas when you're going round in circles for 36 years that's no growth it allowed me to look at those rage incidents and go they are unchanged in 36 years we're not growing i've you're on grown hamster wheel. on a hamster wheel um and so I don't know, maybe that sounds trite, but it, you know, when, when everything that's happening to you in a destructive marriage, it is actually part of the gaslighting, part of the crazy cycle, part of all these elements is that everything's moving and, and you're actually uh, putting out fires constantly. You don't have time to sit down and go, you know what, you know, in your heart and soul that you've been putting out that same fire for 36 years. But you're so busy jumping from fire to 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 fire that you don't actually stop and think there's a pattern here and this is where I am and this is what I can do to take care of me in each of these things. And so that alone was huge for me, the abuse cycle, just understanding it and then being able to plot it mm. and see it over two years going round and round and round. I've often said to him, I feel like... I live in a world of shifting sands or another one is that there's just wave after wave after wave after wave after wave and trying to not drown. And suddenly I had these rocks to grab mm. onto and they were God rocks, but they were also backed up with science. They were backed up by psychology. They were given to me in a language that I could understand. The pieces and the way Leslie explains them, they're solid. Yes. There, and so take any part of it, whether it's the abuse cycle, the victim mentality, the triangle, core, um, oh, big circle. I mean, big circle, I can't tell you how many times I've watched that video and how many hours I've put into. When you don't know who you are and when you're basically a teenager when you started in this abusive relationship and you came from a, a, an abusive family, there is no me to go and find again. Mm -hmm. And so... A lot of people look at going back to the child, back to something. Instead of big circle for me goes, let's just start again. Let's let's see who you want to be. Let's see who God created you to be and how are we going to get there. And so the hours that I've poured in with enjoyment and encouragement and my, of my own volition to actually answer what Leslie does with the whole big circle and find mm -hmm. what is mine and how do I get there and it was a lovely process and I could come up with my big circle, which is not going to make a lot of sense to people who've never actually um, been in conquer, but big circle is a goal. It's not flowery or airy-fairy. It's biblical and it's 
interact with versus left, right and centre and why and how and, you know, head versus heart. We all, we hear about that everywhere in Christian and non-Christian circles is the, is the head versus the heart. And Leslie goes, neither. <laughs> mm. Big circle, people. When you're traumatised like I am or have been, it's very easy when someone says do your own work, when you've lived with churches that have told you to be more submissive, etc. Do your right. own work can come across as, oh, here we go again, I've got to work on me. This is different. This is about growing me within myself that has got nothing to do with my marriage. It has it's not nothing to do with him, yes. Nothing to do with him. And there's no blame. He can't even use it against you. It's about growing you, understanding you in this private world between yourself and God and your conquer sisters. But it ultimately does impact him and impact your marriage because, like Leslie talks about, if you change your dance steps, the dance changes. That's it. And they've either got to dance change with you and it's an opportunity to to grow as well. And it's up to them whether they choose to or not to. And there's and there's literally nothing that you can do about that. Part of the difficulty I'm going through at the moment is he struggling with that mm -hmm. healthier me. He doesn't like it. Can you tell our listeners where you're at now? Well, three months ago, he walked out on me again. And um, it's it's difficult to explain that he's that he's done this so many times, but there are little walkings out where he storms off and comes back again, and they're these major ones. And so he walked out on me three months ago. And we have a cottage for him that he could go to to stay, and he has chosen to stay there. And I, I feel like the last two years with Leslie has prepared me for this. I've just looked at this. I mean, it was catastrophic. Don't get me wrong. It was awful. But I now have this work behind me. I can mm -hmm. now put it into real life. My core is second nature. My big circle is how I think and breathe. The work that I have done has strengthened me enough to face what I'm dealing with now and make some big decisions that I'm in the process of making and we'll see where it actually goes. But it, I could not be doing what I am doing now without the last two years. When I compare me to who I was two years ago when he walked out, it's a different kettle of fish. How are you different? The biggest way I can describe it is the sand versus the rocks or the sea versus the rocks. It was, was such just, a powerful visual. Yeah. Back then it was, he would walk out the door and it was like, he dumped me in the middle of the ocean in a storm and there was just sand and, and, and waves and I can barely breathe. This time, still the same thing, but I was able to turn around and go, right, grab onto those rocks, climb onto that rock and sit there and go, you know what, this is actually insane. This is actually ridiculous. Now, what do I know? What do I know from all my learnings from Leslie that have, you know, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of doing the workbooks, listening to the videos, watching the lives. You can't not learn by being in Conquer. My Facebook page is open to Conquer. That's what I do each and every day. Hmm. And some of that is praying for other people. Some of it is their prayer for me. But one of the most powerful things is that you hear other people's stories, even hmm. if they're in little snippets. And because they're all the same at some level, this time you asked how I'm different, I feel like I belong to a world of women in exactly the same boat. And that is stable. 
And for because a woman who's truth, been so isolated and so betrayed, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it's massive. And and two years ago, I genuinely felt like I was the only woman in the world that was facing such horrific abuse on a day-to-day basis that I was just going to have to live with this for the rest of my life because that was the best option that I had. Now, I have got friends in real life who joined Conquer at the same time that I did who have walked that journey through and out the other side of divorce. And so, you know, you get to see what it looks like and you get to go, wow, they survived. (laughs) And some of them are just the most extraordinary women who were in the most extraordinarily difficult position. If they can do it, so can I. And if I come out with this with nobody but them, (laughs) it's more than the nobody that I had at the beginning, you know? That's so good, yes. Talk to the Jennifer that was you two years ago. Give her one piece of advice. What would you say? Oh, wow, that's a fascinating one. I think that the biggest thing that I would would tell her is that God's got it. It's going to be hard, but there is a path. There is a very distinct path. Just stick to it. And I'm really proud of myself that I did. Would you encourage her to join Conquer? Absolutely. It, it is, apart from my faith and my God, it is the single biggest thing that has changed my life. And even now that I have some healthy counsellors and some really amazing people in my life, very, very few of them can hold space for whatever choice I make like Leslie mm. does. Most people are so strong in one or the other, the stay or the go, that they can't hold space for both. And it needed to be my choice, my journey, my walk with God, and it needed to be an educated choice. And Leslie educates that in a language that anybody can understand. And there's no pressure. There's no timing. There are women that have been in Conquer for six years and now they're leaving their husband. There are people who are choosing to stay and they can stay as long as they like and they're being loved and supported and nobody has a go at them. I really feel in Conquer that it doesn't actually matter what I choose, even if it's to stay in an abusive marriage. Leslie's number one thing is you stay well or you leave well. You leave well. But her goal is that you are well, that you That's are strong, it. that you can That's do it. for yourself, that you're not just being controlled by the church yes. or by your husband or anybody else, that you yes. are well from the inside out. The well part, it's not just a cliche. The well part is the same whether you stay or go. And the well part is the same whether you sit on the fence. The yes. well part is what you what she teaches, which is allows you to separate those journeys. I feel like that that pushing you through a one-way valve, one direction or the other, to go or stay, has got nothing to do with well. Yes. Whereas Leslie goes, let's do the well, and the and as you become well, truly well, at a deep, deep healing spiritual, emotional level that it will become clear to you what you need to do. And you're making a decision from such a a well place. Yes. The thing is, people have stepped into my life all through that 36 years and tried to get me to leave. And I've just balked at that because 
they're not listening to me. They're not checking in on me. They're just going, I can see something wrong here and you need to get out. Here's People your band-aid. are very, yeah. very strong in whether you should go or stay with very little space for let's do the well first. Because they, don't really, they don't well. really want to walk with you through the journey. They want to just give no. you an answer and, and walk away. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Jennifer, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. I really can't. It's a, it's a powerful one. Is there anything else that you want to add or share with our listeners? Oh, I don't think so. But I think if somebody's listening to this and wonders if, if conquer is the right thing for them, I really, really believe that there's nothing that you can lose. I have really been burnt by wrong theology, wrong advice, all kinds of things, spending money on, you know, counsellors that I've ultimately had to leave. For the cost of three counselling sessions to have a whole year of conquer, there is literally nothing. Well, and, and even if you don't want to make that commitment, join monthly. It's $35 That's right. a month. Stay in it for a month. That's and it. You can, you know, if you join for a year, you get the two months free. But if you're not not there yet, yes, I mean, it's 35 you know. bucks. you know. I know. It's been just a joy just to listen to your accent for a little while. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jennifer, for sharing yeah, your story. Anytime. I know it's late you're over so there welcome. and I appreciate it. Leslie's Conquer Group is only open through October 17th. Don't wait. The cost is so small compared to the life-changing help you'll get. Go to leslievernick.com forward slash join. And until next time, may God bless all of your relationships with him with others, and with yourself.